Good opening just before I was about to start. Keep this in. Roll with it. It's good energy. <laughs> Play this over the intro. <laughs> oh, with the music. The elevator music. Um, hello and welcome to the Advanced Screening. My name is Justin Corbett and joining me from a week of weird hippie orgies is Tom Kelly. How are you, Tom? L to the OG. Dude be the OG. A-N. He playing. Playing like a pro. See L to the OG. Dude be the OG. A-N. He playing. Playing like a pro. Reads Logan Roy's obituary. <laughs> and what's that from? Uh, that is from... Is that season two or season one? Succession. I think, I, I think we're going... Season two was Sad Kendall, so that must be season one Kendall when he was rapping... I think it might be season two where he's like Vader Kendall and like under. Oh, doesn't under care Logan. anymore. Yeah, and he's, um, and he's under Logan. And lots of drugs. Yeah, yeah. That's actually that rapping is definitely season two Kendall. Now that you've said it, um, we've got big succession news to cover, but um, massive spoilers for the last two episodes of that. So we won't talk about it straight away. We'll instead do a little bit of what shows we've been watching while you've been possibly COVID stranded again during your school holidays. How's that been? Oh shit. I'm sick again. Like I, I felt like I was, did a sick pod like two, three weeks ago and I'm sick again. Like, I just can't beat it at the moment. I think it was literally two weeks ago. It's like, Oh, I've got COVID. And then you're like, I'm on the mend. And now you're like, I'm sick again. I'm in contagion. <laughs> just stay in your house. Sure. Do not come out for school holidays. Uh, first show we should touch on. We've, haven't covered it in a long time, but it's something that we need to mention. Mandalorian season three. There was a lot of hype. We mentioned this in our very first episode, how much we we're looking forward to season three of Mandalorian. Did you buy it? I bought it. Yeah. You fucking idiot. I, I dropped some. <laughs> um, my question to you for season three of Mandalorian, are they doing something where Every now and then it's made by the people who made season one and two. And then every second episode, it's made by like film students who have been let in to kind of practice shooting because this feels like every episode is made by like wildly different people uh, and abilities. It is a wild show. Like, I think there's a show in how this show was made. It's off the rails in how it's done. The actual shots and composition are just so cookie cutter film school 101 stuff that I would do with my year nine or year 10 students. It's shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is like an eight year old made this and like an adult made Andor. it's <laughs> incomprehensible. Some of the things, but I will come in and defend the, the latest episode. There was some really cringe sort of stuff where they're on Mandalore. Um, there's all the dark saber stuff, they're making connections with the new trilogy of films, this whole idea of how did they make Snoke? How did they bring back the Emperor? And what are questions that people ask when those trilogies came out? And they're still... somehow, Pal- somehow Palpatine returned. Yeah. Um, and they're picking up J.J. Abrams sort of darts on a board and saying, okay, we now need to connect these to a greater canon. <laughs> and that's what the show's doing while also being Mandalorian the gunslinger and also sort of the wider canon animated series coming to live action. It's actually juggling a lot of things at once. And I can understand that that's why there's been, why we, and I think the wider sort of critical response to it has been a bit like, what is going on with the show? Um, do you want to pick it up or thoughts it's, or yeah, shoot from the hip? I completely agree with you um, that... The most recent episode, uh, for very, very, very quick summary, is that um, Bo and Din unite the two different sects of Mandalorians, the devout kind of um, helmet-wearing ones and the other ones. They all go to Mandalore together and they find some people who've been living there the whole time, uh, presumably cannibals eating each other because it doesn't look like there's any other food on that planet. Yellow jackets, baby. Just yellow jackets, which we'll talk about soon. And... They go down and it turns out that the um, Moff Gideon and the Empire or what's left of the Empire have been mining their super strong Beskar armor to build themselves armor. I thought it was an awesome episode. Was that a really weird left turn? That was almost like that's the twist? I 
I figured it was going to happen. Like there, there was this, there was a lot of stuff of like, it's not um, toxic and poison like everyone thought. And if that's the case, and this is, has this has the strongest metal on the planet, why would people not be there mining it? So I figured it was going to happen, and I thought it was super cool, like that reveal of Moff Gideon's there, and he's got a um, clone army that's going to be wearing Mandalorian armor, and their fight that they did was really really cool. I thought that was great. Moff Gideon turning up in his black Darth Vader ish style suit was really cool, um, but just it's like that was a great episode. The week before was an SNL sketch with Lizzo and... Lizzo. Yeah, Lizzo and Jack Black. That was an SNL sketch. The week before that, I literally was trying to remember what happened in that episode and I couldn't remember. I think why we're so frustrated is the fractured and disconnected nature of this series. When we now think about it, was it the covert in episode two or three? That actually feels more important, but it was so ham-fisted. And there's things here where it's almost like the last episode, as you were saying, with Jack Black and Lizzo on that sort of Terranauts sort of thing, it was almost like, this is a waste of time. The thing that everybody's been most excited about this series is this whole idea of the Mandalorians coming together and this lore and sort of the dark saber and let's get down to business. And then they put in like a 40-minute sort of sideshow carny ride into it. It was almost like, this is shit. Um, it was a Doctor Who episode, and it was like a B plus Doctor Who episode. That it, shouldn't be. That shouldn't be the Mandalorian, though. I was um, at the Easter show yesterday, and a couple of episodes this season feel like um, you know how you go on rides, and they have like the the film just for rides screen. Yep. Sometimes that's what half this season has felt like. Like someone just filmed this thing for the little ride that someone does every now and then at the Easter show. And then you pull out awesome episodes like the one last week, which I think was really good. It's so, it's, it, we talked about it. I think the first time we talked about it was that it's, it's a no note show. It's like John Favreau mm. and Dave Filoni just doing whatever the hell they want. And Disney and Lucasfilm just being like, cool, send us the, send us the final cut and we'll put it on Disney plus for you. That's that's the thing I messaged you about it. Can Kathleen Kennedy please to do her job as executive producer? Because her name comes up on the credits. This is your homework. Can you please fix this? <laughs> this is what you're getting paid for. What are you this doing? is this is the first draft. I think the frustration also comes where it goes set piece, set piece, set piece between things, and then there's lulls, and there's in those lulls, there's not meaningful character development that's occurring for main characters or even B or C sort of plot characters and it just sort of feels like event 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 and no sort of character progression for anybody yeah for a for a star wars show that has like a lot of characters that drop in and out you know like nothing about anyone like i think to for people who didn't watch clone wars or rebels you're like you're me me you're barely holding on to who Bo-Katan is. It's like she was uh, someone who used to rule Mandalore and then in this episode we find out she struck a deal with Moff Gideon and he betrayed her and he bombed the planet. Um, that stuff is interesting though. Like I'm all in on Bo as a character. But, but she's like the main character now because Din is like just hanging around. It's like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to follow you. Um, and as the main character even, you're just kind of like, I, I get it. But then there's all these other people around her that do nothing and you have no idea why they're there. Um, what did you think of uh, Grogu's mech suit? Is he going full Power Rangers uh, suit? Oh, yeah. Is he, he going to Mighty Morphin team up? Cool. It was cute. Had some nice bits. It's like, the, yes, yes, no, yes. That was fun. Um, that's, that's it. <laughs> that's it was it. fun. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's surface level. Um, and then they had the giant beast because it was a John Favreau episode and it has to have a giant beast if it's a John Favreau episode. That beast did nothing. It's like they they jumped from their ship and seemed to land exactly where they needed to enter anyway on an entire planet and the beast happened to pop out then. How much you reckon that sort of set piece cost? Oh my God. <laughs> for, for absolutely nothing, probably $10 million. Of like CGI, CGI. sort of works and studios. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's ILM just like, yeah, here you go. They probably got an intern to do that CGI. And it's like, that, here, test your whistle on this. Three to six months, months of work for nothing. And we've got one episode of the season left. I'd can, like. can I, just before you go on, what I did like about it was the sort of Mad Max 
Mortal Engines style that sort of was going on there. Like, I don't know if you saw Mortal Engines. I read all the books back when I was a teenager. I fucking is this, loved it. Is this the moving city show? Yeah. Or film, whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. They butchered the film. But okay. like, this whole idea of like cities are on sort of wheels and moving around. And it felt a little bit Mad Max where like this was like Mandalore is the wasteland and these guys are sort of wandering the wasteland, sort of covering it and I'll fucking kill anybody. Fucking ah. <laughs> yeah. You know? They're eating each other, probably. And, and but they're, they're sailing around on some sort of wind ship in the desert. Like that shit is sick. And I love that it's in Star Wars, this Mad Max sort of aesthetic. But it's like, again, it's just an aesthetic. They, they're not investing or building into it. Uh, enough for my liking but maybe that's the show that they want to produce and they also want to do lots of things yeah they um, did you read it i don't know the movie right yes i like do you want to tear it up so for anyone who loves mandalorian uh i was gonna do this at the end but the ahsoka trailer did you watch it no looks sick okay looks good thrawn um, is gonna be like the guy and yeah. it's like thrawn is like deep cut Star Wars legacy non-canon shit, so which many, is becoming canon. So many books about him, apparently. <laughs> I've read like one Star Wars book, and I think I, I'm a nerd. Like this is for hardcore. Yeah, we should get um, we should get our mate Lockie on next week because he's read all the Star Wars books. Has he? Yeah. Get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. He's like the least the person I would least expect to be doing like Star Wars deep cuts, <laughs> Star Wars extracurricular activities. This is your added homework. Yeah. What's the deal with that? We have to have Lockie on. I oh, know we'll have to get we'll have to get him on next week because uh, because he's probably the only person in our entire lives that's read the uh, extended universe novels of um, Star Wars. But I brought and is that attractive? <laughs> yeah, we'll have to video that one so more people check in. So Lockie is very attractive. <laughs> he's and reads and reads Star Wars novels. I I don't I I've read Star Wars. I don't look like Lockie. <laughs> um, so. Yes, the uh, Ahsoka show looks really, really good from the trailers, uh, but Mando always looks good as well, and it's been up and down. But my point was, uh, you started saying it, is that um, they intend to go one more season of Mandalorian, two seasons of Ahsoka, because the first season's about to start, so those second and fourth seasons should come out at the same time, and then it'll all culminate in an MCU-style film from Dave Filoni, who's... Clone Wars creator and very Mandalorian creator. That sounds very Kevin Feige-esque. Oh. I don't like it. Um, <clears throat> I'm also sort of curious, who's going to go see that? In the sense of, is that a film that's going to be also simultaneously released on Disney Plus? Or is that actually for a full c- cinematic release sort of thing? Because when you go like cinematic release, like the sequel trilogy and the prequel trilogy... Then you've got all this Star Wars fan base who are very, very casual viewers and have never watched Mandalorian, never watched Clone Wars, never seen any of that stuff. And they just go, cool, another trilogy started. And I can't wait to go watch that at the cinemas because you hear the music and the scroll. Like when we went and saw Force Awakens and it was like the dunno, we both went, yes. Like, <laughs> why are you looking embarrassed by that? I, that, I, re- I remember that night very clearly. Um, the, 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 I just have a lot of good memories about that. Oh, that was great. There you go. It was a smile of happiness. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's one group that will hear a Star Wars movie is coming out and be like, oh, a new Star Wars movie. Let's go see that. And we'll then go see it. we'll have no idea what's happening because they've never watched Mandalorian or Clone Wars. Yeah, I've sort of, I, I saw that and I was a bit more like, oh, I don't really trust that direction. Um, and then like, because you're assuming... Obviously, the animated series has a lot of buy-in from a lot of people, but it's not Star Wars franchise trilogy cinema numbers buy-in. No, no, it's the, it's the deep cut. Yeah, to jump like really quickly, we're big Star Wars fans. We've seen all nine movies. We're watching and talking about the Mandalorian, and we've never watched the animated show. So I, I've watched some. I've watched key episodes for like canon and lore that explains <laughs> shit. Like when Obi-Wan kills Darth Maul. Yes, that actually happens. What the fuck? Yeah, so I, I, it's um, it's very weird. But Mandalorian has uh, one episode to go. And we have no idea what happened in that episode. Last week was surprisingly really good considering how shit everything else was. Um, but 
give me your anticipated post Mandalorian season three chat. Oh, like my season overview. Season overview without seeing the finale. The Dark Saber is the coolest thing in the show. Why didn't we have more tension about that other than sort of like a little sort of Easter egg sort of moment in like the first or second episode? It's almost like, oh, well, he lost the Darksaber and now Bo-Katan's got it. Bo-Katan headed back, but it's clearly Bo-Katan's. And nobody talks about it for six episodes. And then there's a callback. And it's almost like, oh yeah, cool. D- tension diffused. I know. Use that. If you're not going to, if he's not going to just hand it straight to her in that moment in episode two or three and be like, I lost this. You fought the guy, you killed the guy, now it's yours. Then what's the point of having him hold it for three more episodes for all of us to be like, oh, it's going to get tense. She's going to have to fight him at some point if she wants it. And then he's just like, nah, here you go. I remember this thing happened. Wouldn't it be sick if they had to fight? They just had to. Yes. They were forced by circumstances and clever writing that they were just forced to have to fight. Yep. And then have that sort of interplay and then he yields sort of thing would have been so much better but I, I have no idea what they're doing on this show and that's why it feels like every now and then it's like here's 50 million dollars to make an awesome star wars film in the span of 45 minutes and other times it's like john favreau's kid has come in to make an episode and just like give him some work experience what i do find interesting is they're putting on all this work to now explain um what was the third film it's called uh, rise of skywalker they're doing all this work to explain Rise of Skywalker, which has sort of been panned. Like, I remember we walked out of it and you were like, oh, what was that about? Didn't love that. Um, I did, I liked it, but like, I much preferred The Last Jedi and The Last Jedi built upon it. And now we have to, the whole sort of franchise, this huge aircraft carrier is now turning around to make the, the, the last, what, The Rise of Skywalker work. Yeah. From a canon sense, where The Last Jedi actually released all the shackles and said, you can do something new, and now we will all have to retrofit to make JJ's bad film work. It's such a weird decision, and I don't know why they're doing it. But When The Last Jedi, people hated it, but it opened up all these possibilities. And it was also like, fuck the Jedi. The Jedi were flawed. We should move on. And now it's almost like, no, the Jedi are like flawed but like cool we're gonna keep on trying yeah yeah and i don't know if they're because all these things are planned so far in advance like when they started doing this they were probably like oh everyone hated the last jedi we need to kind of retroactive it but it's already kind of turning back around again the same way that like the prequel trilogy turned around now people look at that fondly like the last jedi even in the six years it's been out it was like three years of hate and it's been three years of actually that was pretty good compared to everything else we're getting so i wonder how much they're like yeah we shouldn't have tried to copy jj as much mind you i will pick you up people who are actually turning back and saying the prequels are good are fucking idiots oh come on you don't like pod racing uh the second one is unwatchable the second one is completely unwatchable natalie portman would want that erased from her imdb you look at everything natalie portman's done since then and you just imagine like she's just like looks back at that like oh no Get that off, please, no. I had to share green screen with some guy doing Jar Jar Binks, man. (laughs) (laughs) Enough Mando, because it's uh, weird and depressing, Um, but we've got one app to go, so hopefully it sticks the land in. Uh, You had another show you wanted to talk about. Uh, I've got two, and I'm going to talk about really briefly because you haven't seen them, so I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, The first one is a show that I didn't think I would like and it was just on and I just thought, fuck it, let's put it on because they looked like they spent a lot of money and it's Rise of the Pink Ladies on Paramount Plus. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, Let me me give you the pitch. I don't know if I want to let you do the pitch. (laughs) It's actually really good um, and I'll explain why. (laughs) So it is a prequel to Greece. This is not something I ever thought I would want to watch but it's pretty much retroactively sort of refits the 1950s and puts in some contemporary commentary in there um, and some fine songs and some really great production design, some decent writing. I think it's a really fun show. Um, it's, it fits into this whole sort of girl gang vibe of, you know, contemporary culture. Everything else and, on TV. Yeah, and it, and it works. It, it works. Um, the characters are really likable. It's fun. Um, and it's a great hang. And I fucking hate Grease and I'm watching this. 
I have absolutely nothing to say to you. <laughs> Rise of the Pink Ladies. What's give me a, apart from it? It kind of Rise of Skywalker, Rise of the Pink Ladies. Like, is it is it really big setup for these high school girls that like hated each other and bullied Sandra? No, D? it's it's actually sort of building upon this idea of the Pink Ladies are the non-popular kids. They're they're the girls who aren't popular or who are teased or bullied in some way or othered. And it's them finding each other in 1950s high school America where it's almost like it's it's the white boys playground sort of thing. And then it's almost like, well, actually, we're going to form our own group because fuck everybody else. This is such a such a we had the conversation two weeks ago about like everything is only IP or unless it was last week. Um, everything is IP. What you just described is the plot to any good film or TV show. It's like Breakfast Club. It's like any of these other things. But to get it made and to be half decent, if you're telling the truth, is like, it has to be the pink ladies. Like, why? We've got to fit it within Paramount plus IP. It's quite similar to like La La Land, where it's like these everyday sort of like conversations and dialogue, and then they will break into these huge song and dance ensembles. Oh, so they're doing, they're doing like full musical. Yes. I don't, I don't know if that scared me more or less. It's not something I would normally be a fan of, but it's so well done. They've spent heaps of money in it. Everybody in it is great. Um, really well casted. I, I'm a fan. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I, I don't... And what, what, what I also liked is when I looked it up on IMDb, all the reviews are really bad saying this is tarnished Greece and it's almost like fuck yeah. <laughs> you can't you can't tarnish Greece. Hasn't like the last thirty years tarnished Greece in a time? It's aged terribly. Don't they fly away in a car at the end of the movie in Greece? The se- the sexual politics within the film is disgraceful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Johnny Zuko falls in love with Sandra a second time because she changes her entire personality to be with him. And there's sort of like maybe suggestions of a sexual assault. Yep. Uh, it's not good. Uh, cool. if, if anyone wants to go back and watch Grease because they're like up in arms that we're not hyped on it, just check it out. Um, and so it's it's an anti-Grease and then people are... What's anti-Grease, I suppose? What, like, woke, lubricant? Woke, woke Grease? What do you... <laughs> woke lubricant. So it's woke Grease pretty much and I, I'm, I'm all in oh my on God. it. It's fun. Okay, it's a... I'm intrigued by them trying to update Greece. Watch the first half an hour. Okay. Uh, and the other one that I'm really enjoying, and I'll be really brief with this, is Transatlantic on Netflix with um, Gillian Jacobs. And, you know, the dude that's the like the pinnacle of that guy, he's been in Billions. He's been in... Uh, he was Hemingway in Midnight in Paris. He's been in a heaps of shit. He's, uh, he was in... Um, a house of cards. Oh, um, stamp in house of cards. The bold yeah. guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. What's his name? He's in Jack Ryan. I can't remember his name. He said he's, he's in everything, and he's always good and shit. Yeah. And he's the American ambassador in Marseille. Uh, the Nazis have just taken over, and it's Americans trying to get, um, like high society or like high culture European artists, politics, and right politicians and writers out of Europe through Marseille because Marseille is at, at this time a free port and not taken over by the Germans yet. Is What's this on? I haven't even heard of this. Netflix. And it's got Gillian Jacobs in it from like Community and uh, Love and she's great in it. She's so watchable. She's such a great character actor. Um, and it's really fun. It's almost like Casablanca but in France. It's yeah. It's got those vibes. Comedy yeah. thriller? A drama. Yep. But um, I almost sort of made the flippant com- comment that it's almost like it's it's Emily in Paris, but Nazi wartime. And good. <laughs> oh, it's it's everybody looks great in it. And <laughs> it's got this great sort of Mediterranean cinematography where it's this bright, striking blue light. Yeah. Um, very fun. Woods would also highly recommend. I'm two or three episodes into that too. I will... Definitely check that one out. I probably won't check out Rise of the Pink Ladies. That's 20 minutes with the Rise of the Pink Ladies. Um, and I definitely think you'll watch all of Transatlantic on Netflix. Okay. Um, my only 
recommendation is one that I've already recommended and you're not quite up to where I'm up, I'm up to, so I won't spoil anything, but um, season two of Yellow Jackets is four episodes in now. Um, if you're coming to this, haven't heard it, uh, season two Yellow Jackets is all about the girls that crash in the wilderness and some kind of supernatural shit's going on. Um, I, th- I think I'm two episodes deep at the moment. Cool. So you're about two behind. Um, this season is humming along, uh, to use a weird term. Um, the premise, which I won't spoil, but if you like, you know the premise. Yeah, start. Cannibalism really... has come to Yellow Jackets. Cannibalism has come to Yellow Jackets. Uh, on Paramount Plus. On Paramount Plus, bunch of girls straight in the wilderness who form cannibalistic tribes. And let's just say that four episodes in, the cannibalism has begun. Uh, Mysteries are unraveling and also increasing. The last episode introduced a new character right at the end, which I won't spoil, but it was really, really cool. She didn't even have any lines yet, but it was just cool to see this new character in the present day timeline. Is it some... I assume it's one of the girls is now being brought back. But there were... There's a bit of a suggestion in the intro as well. Yes. Yeah, if you if you yeah, pay attention in the I intro, thought. then you then yeah. you know what's coming. Um, so she has arrived, or he. <laughs> I think it's obvious it's a she. Um, and yeah, this is like big time scratching, like mystery box lost itch. Um, it's not done by Damon Lindelof, uh, who created Lost, did The Leftovers, which is a fucking amazing show that not enough people watched. Um, Watchmen, which was awesome as well. Uh, his adaptation of the comic. Yeah, um, it was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, it's not by him, but apparently the creators of this kind of went to the Damon Lindelof school, like have been in a lot of his writer's rooms and stuff. So are really nailing the whole mystery show of like, we're going to show you really sick, cool, gnarly drama, but then also there's always going to be something that every episode's going to, tell you There's something yeah it's so much so much like here's a new thing that we're going to show you that you have no idea what it means yet but it's going to be important can i just pick up on so i haven't kept up completely to date i'm probably going to catch up over the next couple of days or so mainly because whenever i've tried to put it on sam it's almost like i'm really not in the vibe for cannibalism tonight you have which I completely... you have a pregnant wife who might so, not deal so... too well with uh humans eating humans so instead we do, oh God, I'd never made that connection. Um, <laughs> and so instead we just put on like old season two Ted Lasso, which I'm slowly warming to maybe, I don't know. Nah, you'll come back out again towards the end. I, I watched season two and never tried to watch season three. I think I like the stuff that everybody hates, but let's not get into that. Um, what do you think about the supernatural cult vibes? Because I felt like th- the first two episodes dove in deep into that sort of storyline and that's sort of, I find the supernatural aspects to the show actually a drawback where I actually find the mystery and the, and the actual interplay between it, the far more interesting and this idea of creating a cult, but not the actual, the leaning into the supernatural. And it feels like it definitely is that it's saying that, yes, there are supernatural forces within this show sort of feels like, oh, I get pulled back out of it that I've lost my, um, the realm of believability breaks for me when that becomes the forefront of the show. I am the exact opposite, and you probably wouldn't be surprised by that, by how much That's I okay. loved um, something like Lost. Uh, a lot of people think, and it's it's literally the camps and um, every other podcast that we listen to does like the Lost comps and stuff, where everyone really loved Lost when it was like survivors on an island and there was like, other people but they just lived on the island and there's like things happening but you don't really know and then that show spoilers for lost became like literally god and the devil exist on this island and these people have to come and essentially pick sides of which side they're going to fight on in this war oh my god this is getting really fucking dense i fucking loved it so when when it went to that so many people fell off but so the the supernatural of yellow jackets to me is really really interesting because it's you can do so much to differentiate that show from everything else that's come before it if you put in your own mythos and your own supernatural elements and kind of build around that whereas if it is again great concept for a show but if it is just girls landing and 
the wilderness and eating each other for 19 months like great premise but it doesn't feel as unique as it potentially could be if you inject your own kind of mythology to it so that's why it really still draws me i've got no problem with the mythology i think the mythology is actually the most interesting part of the show and i actually the bits that i really enjoy is when the girls when it's back in the mid 90s and the girls are buying into this mythology they're actually believing it Mm. and they're carrying out traditions and rituals like the pouring of the blood every time somebody goes out it was at the not pouring, but the cut, yeah, the, the cut sort of thing. The um, character of Lottie, uh, everyone thinks is like their kind of queen supernatural person. So she cuts her finger and puts it in their tea before they go out as like a blessing before the hunt. All of that stuff I find really interesting. Where they're actually building their own rituals and traditions. They're, they're actually myth making in real time in the show, and I think that's the really fun bit. And I, I think that is a survival method. I think that's where the mining for gold is, well, for me anyway, I find really interesting. But then where you're actually backing it up and saying, no, this is actually really happening, that's where I sort of feel like, oh, okay, because I actually find them making up this stuff to survive and building this cult-like mythology and ideology behind characters where, where there's vapid, there's nothing behind it. I think that's the most interesting sort of thing. But then when it's actually, no, this is actually real. It's almost like, oh, okay, it's just cool. Yeah, we're still, it's still, even though with each episode, it kind of starts to give more and more hints that it could be supernatural. Like it's still not 100% sure. Like um, It's leaning more and more into it than it was in season one. Yeah, but it kind of feels like they're hedging their bets still a little bit. Um, There's continuously a they're continuously alluding to the fact that like, oh, this hair, this area is really high in iron and it could be in our drinking water and that's making things go weird and all this kind of stuff. And there may be symbols that they found might have been put there by other people and now they're using it to make their own myth and stuff, which... That, that's the shit I yeah, like. Yeah, that, that, could be, that could still be cool, but I'm always all in on supernatural shit, so it doesn't bother me if that's, it goes that way. Oh, I'm going to watch it. I mean... I'm a season ticket holder. I'm keeping my Paramount Plus membership. but I'm keeping my brother's thing. Paramount Plus membership. There you go. Thank you, Yellowstone. Or like the Yellowstone yeah. universe that's not on Paramount Plus. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a season ticket holder. I'm in. That's just the only thing that I felt has been a bit of a drawback watching the first two episodes where I've, I'll, I'll do it. I was just a little bit reluctant to jump straight back in because of that aspect where it sort of went away from the interpersonal and the the myth-making that was happening in in season one. Fair. Um, All right, we're going to take a quick break and then hit up season four, episode four of Succession. Welcome back to the Advanced Screening. We are going to talk about Season 4, Episode 4 of Succession. Uh, We didn't do Episode 3, so we'll touch on it real quick. Massive spoilers before we do. Do not listen to this. Thank you for being here. Do not listen to this. I've already dropped it. I've already dropped it. (laughs) I was hoping people didn't realize. Logan Roy is dead. (laughs) The master, the patriarch, Logan Roy in Episode 3. I think we kind of... I've said it offline, probably one of the best episodes of television ever. There was absolutely no indication this was going to happen. Everything's well. He's ordering the executions of his staff. He gets on a plane and then at Connor's wedding, the kids get a call that Logan is sick and or dead, but nobody knows and they're doing CPR. Um, What did you think of ep three before we go into this week's ep? I think it's potentially the best episode of television in the past decade. The way it moves is phenomenal. I've written this about this week's episode, but I think it's pertinent for both that the only way to do this properly for us to talk about is to do do a proper sit-down watch-along where we pause to unpack everything that happens because there's more things happen in 30 seconds in dialogue in the show that might happen in a season and somewhere else. And it's phenomenal, the, the context and the density that they're able to pack in and how sharp and brutal the dialogue is between is in between characters, and then and you've been talking as well um, to me over the past week is the camera how the camera moves. You're in love with that. Yeah, I um, 
uh, I would recommend highly if you're watching Succession on Binge, um, when an episode finishes, you can click the more button down the bottom and they do like a 10 to 15 minute kind of behind the episode where they talk about how they made that episode. That's like real inside baseball, um, nerdy shit. But it- that's a show on PGM, right? <laughs> about politics. <laughs> this makes total sense. PGM, the dying news network. Um, it's, it's a, a real, real quick rundown. What they did last week uh, for the kids finding out that Logan's dead, uh, they filmed, even though it intercuts back to the play and every time they're talking to Tom um, or Frank or whatever, they filmed the entire thing as if it was a single shot, one act with cameras just moving the whole time. And you really see that it means that the script, as good as it is, isn't so much carrying it. It's the kids and their reactions like... And at that point, really brings out their characters, like you said, like 30 seconds of dialogue tells so much the way Roman reacts with just like, fuck, what, fuck, who, what, cunt, what. Um, Kendall goes real quiet, really in control. Shiv just breaks down. Um, It feels real, real raw and accurate and just um, the best. And a million people have said this in articles, so we won't go too long on it, but just the absolute truth of that moment for a drama to not give... Logan Roy, a great last line to not ever see his face again after we're told that he's Mm. possibly dying. We spend Mm. 30 minutes of the episode with the kids, like having no idea whether he's actually still alive or not. Um, It's just amazing. It's phenomenal, I think. And I don't think either of us are necessarily East Coast elite theatre goers, but it had the spark and thrill of live theatre and live theatre done really, really good in the sense of like, what, what, oh, that's happening. And the physicality that was happening between the actors, I thought, and the characters, just so great. What, what Jeremy Strong, Kendall and um, Sarah Snooker doing a out of this world sort of stuff, really. Yeah. And then like just the, the little things of them, like their faces when they need to, Kendall needs to go get Shiv and she comes back and like they hand her the phone and tell her, dad's had a heart attack he might be dying and she just looks at it like it's a bomb in her hand and she's just like what the fuck i don't want this i don't i don't want this and just like hands it back and can't just hand me a live grenade like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna deal with this and then kendall and shiv need to go get connor and they like hold hands on the way out and connor walks back in and he's just like he never liked me and um now he's dead and i feel old how brutal was that when connor was just almost like his knee-jerk reaction his go-to was almost like he never liked me. Never liked me. But he got the happiest moment. He's still married Willa. I know. How good. Connor still, is still winning. <laughs> he's winning the series at the moment. Because um, he's still in single digits. He's not in decimals yet. He hasn't been squeezed out yet. Um, the thing I really wanted to talk about, though, was the reaction of the phone call and the decision that the writers and the director have made with that, how that's been shot. Because I feel, while I haven't necessarily been in that situation, like, yes, I'm been around where loved ones have died and that's obviously very sad and tragic situations but receiving phone calls whether that's a death or hearing really bad news they're often sort of chaotic where it's almost like no no you need to tell me everything right now debrief me don't don't fuck me around tell me everything right now what's wrong and don't sugarcoat it like give me all the details and it's chaotic and it's like fuck 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 and that is communicated so clearly that experience of chaos and panic in a shared space. And quite often it is through a phone because we're all sort of disparate and flung to all parts of a city or a country or a globe. And that we're all just trying to connect and something sad is happening someplace. And you're like, I can't connect to that experience because it's happening somewhere else. And all you can have is panic and confusion because all you have is a telephone line. The fact that they've done that where I guarantee you any other television show fucking gives Logan the last line and it's done unceremoniously and it's done in such a human way where it's almost like that's how fucking life happens. Nobody, nobody gets their last fucking line of monologue in life. You just fucking cark it. Often on the toilet. We all, yeah, dropped his phone in the toilet, which we found out uh, in this ep- in the most <laughs> recent episode. Um, but we always... Like the the whole like put put the phone to his ear, put the phone to his ear. He's he's still here. He can hear you, even though like he's almost definitely dead by that point. And 
um, I think I mentioned a minute ago, but once they get the call, you never see his face again. You see his bloated, pale chest getting chest compressions in the background. That's but, a body double as well. That's yeah, 100% even like, um, go on the plane. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, it's just... You never, you never see him again, and you are one hundred percent the kids in that moment because they will never see him again. So, there at no point are the writers and directors like, we'll show him though, and we'll show that he could come back because if you're the kids, you have no idea if he's going to come back. So it's just yeah, yeah, the balls of them to take Brian Cox, one of the most well known actors in the world now, specifically because of this role, even though he was like amazing before, but this role has um, elevated him, and just be like. You get five minutes at the start, and then in the third episode of our final season with 10 episodes booked, you're gone. Brilliant. Brutal. Brilliant and brutal. And I think it's um, good that we didn't necessarily cover it last week because this week picks up straight away. It's the next day. Uh, it's sort of like this, not wake, but it's like when somebody dies, you just come over. Everyone just gathers. Yeah. and It's, it's, it's a strange experience. It was so... Um, I, I couldn't possibly rattle them all off, but the all the people coming through were just like one-off faces from episodes through the entire seasons. Oh, like I, just, I loved that. I recognized people like yeah. Mark and Paul. I'm like, who the fuck are these people? But why do I know their face? Because they've been in the I background. I love that Kendall was like, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. I think Mark was at his Bucks party or something, but yeah. otherwise, like I've never, Tom's. never seen that guy before. Um, my biggest thing was uh, Marsh is back. Oh, I love that. Coming She's back. back from shopping in Milan forever. Marsha coming back and just like immediately being like, I will sell you this house for $60 million. <laughs> are you kidding me? What are you doing here? And then Will is just walking through thinking about what she's going to knock down. <laughs> um, we'll do, I've got like some things to kind of step through, but what are your kind of big line thoughts this episode? Like it was incredible again. The movement between rooms. Before, like again, the same idea. There's so much dialogue going on. We like to do the stuff that I actually want to do is probably sit down and talk for two hours, pause and watch, pause and watch. But uh, what I was actually thought that didn't work when you think about it uh, next time around is this actually the next day? I think it's meant to be. There was um, they don't ever say in the series, but one of the creators actually said that the last season is meant to be an episode a day. Yeah, yeah. So the brutality that the kids show Tom after how caring and empathetic Tom was to them on the phone doesn't sit right. I completely bought it though, because they're, they don't, they didn't ever really see him. Right. So they, that's true. They got his voice through the phone. Then they dealt with their dad's death. And then you see, if this is the next day, they're already just like, how do we write our company? Who's going to be in charge? What are we going to do next? So if they're in that mind space, I think, that means that they're also in the mind space of Tom betrayed them to Logan. So they're already back in business mind space. So they're not really caring whether he was kind to them on the phone. I think it makes more sense if it was like three or four days later. Yeah. Uh, Just from that sense, I get what they're doing from a narrative standpoint, but I just think just from my end, that's where I'm sort of coming from. Um, Tom is just trying to make moves and I love it. Matthew McFadden was the, he was the first one in the last episode, who was in the arena, ready to play. And he's still there, and he's just getting knocked down constantly. Well, I am so glad you mentioned this, because I put this to the top of something to talk about, because I'm worried it could have been missed or forgotten about, But and it happened in the middle of the episode, right? So, quick setup. Tom goes to the old people, Frank, Carl, and Jerry, and yeah. says, like, I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve, man. Whatever you need, I'm here to serve. He goes to Kendall. Do you think he like tested that with Greg? Well, the, I think he did. I think they know what they're doing because he then goes to Kendall and he says, I'm here to serve, Kendall. Like, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. I'm here to serve. Doesn't do it to Shiv, interestingly. Just kind of tries to be nice to her. Yeah. Then he says to Roman, here to serve, man. I think like if you're going to be up the top, I'm here to serve. So he says it to everyone that's going to be in power. But there's a really quick moment. He says it to Roman, turns around and walks to camera and smirks like this really, really big smirk. Like he's doing this on purpose. And then the camera lingers on Roman who like really starts to think about something. So I wanted to bring that up. And if you watch the episode again during the week, look out for that moment after he's spoken to uh, Roman 
if you watch that episode again, because he walks away to camera and just has the biggest smile on his face. Like he's intentionally going and putting in all these people's heads, you're going to be in charge or you should be in charge and I'm going to serve you when you are. Because it looks like he's doing it on purpose. I love Tom. Matthew McFadden oh. is just making so many moves. So good. In the I'll, show. Um, I'll screenshot that little moment and send it to you. Because yes, please. You see the look in his face and you're like, he has gone to all these people on purpose and said this. I thought it was like, oh, sniveling poor Tom, but like he's doing it. Um, I've got one question for you. Where are you keeping your undisclosed gorgans for tax purposes? <laughs> Um, currently probably in the basement of my house, cellar. my cellar that, uh, can lock from the inside and <laughs> I'll just stay down here with my podcast equipment and a possibly illegal samurai sword that I have. But ideally that all burns for insurance purposes. Like that's the financial dream, right? Well, unfortunately this is a very, um, sandstone basement. So this is probably the only place that doesn't burn if I was to <laughs> light it all on fire. Yeah. It's probably why it's a good place to keep it. Who's <laughs> a, a pedophile? <laughs> I liked how it's, I like that as a re- art reference. I got that straight away. It's almost like they're both artists. No, they're both pedophiles. Um, <laughs> That's such an art. Okay. Such an art teacher comment. I love that. Can I give you um, a quick question? Yes, Marsha. Great, yeah. great re-entry after seasons. She's not shopping forever anymore. Literally um, killed Kerry. Killed Kerry. Uh, she apparently, clearly uh, playing the game here, spoke intimately with Logan every evening before Is that bed. Phone sex. <laughs> Roman walks away saying, "Thanks for making my thing, making me think of my dad having phone sex." <laughs> what do you think, Marsha and Logan spoke intimately about every evening? I don't think they talked. Oh I God, think, no. <laughs> I think that's a that's a Marsha power play. She's she's in the arena as well, but playing for something else. If she she's was, pl- she's playing for legacy. Yeah, she um. It's like she was the third or something wife who had been put out to pasture. And I love that little bit where Kerry's like, he said, we're going to get married. Can you find out if we're going to get married? And Marsha's just like, get this person out of here. But like that was Marsha at some point too. And that's why I loved like she was doing great. But I loved um, Willa's line to Marsha where Marsha's like, haven't you done well? And Willa just said, haven't we both? Both. Yeah. Yeah. I like that acknowledgement. There was something like that recently oh no it's actually at the end okay i'm gonna get a bit weird sci-fi but it's the end of june the book where um the two there's two female figures who've both said haven't we done well we've survived when most wives die they've survived they've actually won um and i'm actually really proud of willa willa's doing well i like we we kind of brushed over it but last week's app of um was one of the best moments of the series where uh connor asked willa if he loves her um or if he's just in it for money and she just smiles and says everything's for money the money helps but i'm not going to leave you today yeah um which i thought was great and then she serves marsha that line in this episode and starts remodeling the house already i was like yeah, Willa, get it. Game sees game. <laughs> um, I wanted to keep on that moment as well because I think it was just such a great moment because Greg's being a fucking prick saying, oh, here comes the waterworks. <laughs> like, have some fucking... And then Captain Empathy, Roman. We say it every week. Roman, the the somehow the most empathetic character on this show despite constantly telling people to fuck off. I think that was a really good moment. Um my partner, Britt, doesn't watch the show, but she happened to be sitting next to me when I watched it tonight. And she was like on her phone and not watching. And then I'd just hear this, <laughs> and it'd be her laughing at something Roman said. Yeah, okay, thanks. Yeah. I think it was like, Frank, if you're feeling uncomfortable, then you can fuck off. Fuck off. <laughs> but yeah, Roman coming in for Kerry. I, I thought that was an unbelievable human moment. <laughs> it was so In this good. sort of palace whispers sort of episode. Um and he and he even gives he even gives Marsha like come on Marsha was that really necessary and she kind of stalks away and he kind of looks at Kendall and then looks at her and is like fucking what and everybody else is sort of unfeeling and unmoving and Roman is the person to actually reach out to somebody who's in pain and this is somebody he's we talked about that was the best line of the first episode it's like get your cock get my father's cock out of your mouth sort of thing <laughs> and he's the one who's coming in and showing some sort of humanity for her I thought that was such a strong moment it's for the show i think it really um because this is going to be another one of my questions at the top was that kendall we opened the episode with kendall crying and sitting on the floor shiv's crying and sitting on the floor 
and Roman's getting up and brushing his teeth and doesn't look doesn't look sad at all. But hold on, oh, because he's pre grieved. Let's get that right. I want to do that with my therapist and pre grieve because so when like, Roman, uh, like he he clearly can't deal with his emotions at all, but he can really help others out. And I know what you're about to say. She's pregnant. She's pregnant. <laughs> yeah, that was the other thing. Um, hang on, is, is Tom she the pregnant? father? I reckon Tom's a father because this is supposed to all be happening oh. over the course of a few days. Wow. Yeah. And I'd love to know... I also love how every time they refer to, to talk to any of the kids, anybody else, they say, we know you've got stuff cooking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, she literally has stuff cooking. <laughs> has stuff cooking. Um, I think, just to go um, inside the app again for a hot minute, um, uh, Australia's own Sarah Snork, who should put herself down for lead actress instead of supporting and win that Emmy, because she's killing it. Um, I think she was actually pregnant going into this season. Yeah, me and Sam talked about that. Do you think they actually that was a creative choice, or do you think, in the sense that we're going to match that because she's doing that at the moment? Or I think what's I think they're going good, on there. They're good enough that they rather than do the fucking classic TV trope of have her stand behind big bags and pot plants to do, hide the baby bump. I think they wrote it in because she's pregnant in real life. But I think that opening the episode where no one knew that, and she's like, "Your twenty week scan's coming up." And she's got all this baggage going on while being pregnant was great. I think they're going to write it in really, really well. That's the thing. It's now such a great device and a tool to use. Yeah. For tension and conflict and also to then also make Shiv, I don't want to say this in a condescending way, but make her an empathetic character as well. Because I think for the last two or three episodes, it's almost like Shiv just keeps on taking L's. And it's almost like, why do you keep on fucking up? I thought you were supposed to be the best of these three. And it's you You also come across as like wildly incompetent where she's almost like, can we let the plane keep on circling for a couple of hours? It's almost like, are you a fucking idiot? That's all anyone will know you did, that you kept your yeah. dad's body in the air for an extra half hour while you sorted business things out. Um, yeah, you're, you're completely right in the sense that... Um, entirely sexist of two guys, but like her having a pregnancy will make her a bit more anything because at the moment like i think it's intentional but she's the worst of the siblings in terms of like how smart she's at business and the kids were like finally lining up and then kendall has the note that says um that logan wanted him with a with a line through it and she's it's, a, like, it's an underline right it's definitely yeah. underlined. uh is it an underline or is it scribbled through <laughs> it's fucking um, dashed out mate like, <laughs> um sam when, when, because he keeps on looking at it, he takes a photo and keeps on going back to it. And Sam was saying, how sad is this? That he's like, he's finally realizing that his dad actually loved him at some point. And it means everything to him. And it's almost like, oh my God, mate, do you not know this? Yeah. At some point is the operative word. Um, and it's like the line is under probably the key and the E and then everything else is scratched out. It's like, he didn't love yeah. you anymore, man. I'm so sorry to tell you. The, the um, conversation with um, Frank in that moment was really, really good. Um, I love Frank in this series. He's I, killing it. This this season, I wanted to... Um, Peter Peter Friedman, apparently a great British stage actor or something. Like, I don't know. I've never seen him in anything else that I can think of. I think that's why this show is so strong, because oh. they are pulling from people from the stage. He's um, so good in this. That chat uh, that... Um, Kendall has with him and even that moment where he's like you're healthy you're clean you're looking good do you actually want to go back in this like he genuinely cares about Kendall he's trying to say like don't do it just great so good Frank like this last episode and this episode Frank, Carl and Jerry have just been amazing which brings me to another question for you Um, that Carl was so close to the seat of power this episode (laughs) I was just about to say, what did you think Carl did for cable TV in the 90s? <laughs> oh, okay. Um, you know, Jerry's like, man, everything you did for cable in the 90s. I'd like- love to read his Wikipedia page. <laughs> um, what, what do you reckon? Do you think it's almost like a some sort of subscription model? Or what the whole idea is we're just going to give you so much shit and you're going to pay for it, but you're willingly going to pay for it because it's almost like the binge model now. What do I watch on binge? I watch Succession. I'm going to watch Barry. And I watch uh, the Tuesday night mystery show, HBO, uh, Perry Mason. And that's it. I'm paying 
How much is it a month? For uh, HBO Max or Binge? For Binge. Binge is like 13 or $14 a month. I'm paying it for three shows. And how much is on Binge? It's got shit ton. It's like all Foxtel pretty much. Yeah. And you wouldn't watch 99% of it. That's that's going back to our second episode streamers chat of like how much we that's pay. What, that's what Carl did. He made people pay for shit and they accepted it. I think what Carl did was introduce the adults only channel to, um, to, <laughs> to cable that you had to pay an extra $10 for to get a month back in the 90s. A subscription yeah. based model. Whatever it was like max, the, the max with three X's channel on cable. That sounds like him considering that he apparently had a few um, sexual misdemeanors in the past. Hanging out with Uncle Lester. <laughs> Mo Lester. Carl being this close, and Carl the entire three series prior had been played for comedy, and now he's almost like so close to the seat of power and putting himself forward. And even though that was comedic that Carl was putting himself forward because he's not a serious player, because he's not a serious person, just like all the kids are. Like everyone. Um, but I just thought that was so great. It's like he had his moment there. The, yeah, I don't like... Uh, Frank's one like got me more because like you see that he was like a really close. I think he's Kendall's godfather or something, and like yeah. it was really good. But Carl in this episode was like top tier, one of the best characters in this episode. Just the way he's like smirking around, and they find the letter with Kendall's name on it. And he's like, maybe your hand wobbled next to the toilet. <laughs> we were like, we were floating it, getting flushed down the toilet accidentally. One of the great Frank and Carl episodes. I loved Frank's, Frank's line where it's almost like, they're all like, are we going to like talk about fucking right now? And Frank's almost like, do you want to check out the China? <laughs> Just really great delivery. Really fun. They've like It's obviously a pleasure to write for Frank what they're doing in the writer's room. Um, yeah, so good. And then so um, another one that I had was the... Uh, obituary scene where they're reading the the newspaper things dad oh. sounds amazing i would like to have met dad at some point well one of the i think the last quote was um logan roy was a man of his era and they're like uh so racist and possibly relaxed about sexual assault assault <laughs> that was um that was great and seeing we we both follow this is so dumb but we both follow an instagram page that's just called kendall roy looking sad and it's yes. just posts of kendall roy looking sad and it was great in this episode to see we open with the saddest of kendall roy's and then throughout a lot of it he's kind of like laughing with his brother and sister a bit i this is what i actually want to talk about and we don't have that much time left but i think we should dedicate it to it now that um finally the prince has risen to the crown kendall roy immediately like I love it. I am hardcore Team Ken, but I'm also concerned because he's taken the crown now to a certain extent that it will slip in the next seven episodes. But I'm really happy to see Ken there and what, how that's going to play out. And then also how he's fucking Hugo over yeah. as well. I love that bit where Hugo's in the lobby saying like... He's, what is his daughter has inside traded because yeah. she traded out Waystar stock because she knew Roman was uh, Logan was dead before anybody. Yeah. Did you? Uh, he's, uh, Kendall says to Hugo, "Did you speak to her on the day he died?" He's like, uh, "Possibly." Um, what would those calls say? He's like, "I can't recollect." It's like so good that Kendall is already running it. Um, he's like stepping up to the kid that he should have always been. Uh, he somehow has gotten. Roman on board to be like his quote unquote equal uh, interim CEO and both of them have just shafted Shiv on a promise that they're going to run it equally and then have a vote further down the line. I was surprised that Shiv wasn't then invited into the room when they were with Carolina and Hugo as well about the statement. Mm. She's clearly so on the outer and that's going to sort of spoil in that obviously that relationship is going to sour and we're going to have like the the siblings are going to be fighting over the succession but yeah what do you think like it's um to kind of quickly look ahead uh like j- just for a summary kendall at the end there uses hugo's insider trading with his daughter to essentially say uh to go over roman's head and partly carolina's head and say put out that dad was alien that he was fucked up that he was sick and we've been running it for the last x amount of years anyway like 
been dad's reputation for the last few years we're in charge kind of thing um do you think roman will absolutely be pissed about Love that it. will he go against kendall do you think she will be pissed in general that they're not will they will she go against kendall roman this will send roman off because roman actually cares for his father even though he's dealing with it now he's like a central pillar of his identity is tied to his father in some way. Like they all are, but like he's far more sympathetic and empathetic and connected. He's the most like um, Logan in some ways. Um, but Ken, it's Ken is back to season one Terminator shit and I fucking love it. I It's been so long. Like he kind of had the, the dark spiral in season two, season three, he kind of bounced back for a few eps when he was going against his dad and then he went back down again. But the last 20 minutes of this episode, seeing Jeremy Strong like act confident again rather than like the broken kind of shell that he's been doing for two seasons was so, so good. Or be the offbeat sort of comedic release in mm. some way or just like struggling in a room or being Romy, Romy, Romy. It's almost like, no, this is Killer Ken. Yeah. And I am so here for Jeremy Strong just to smash this out of the park for seven episodes. Do you think he went like super method and was like, I am taking over from Brian Cox now, essentially... I'm the lead actor on this show now. Like, get he in the would zone. be insufferable to work with. <laughs> um, we can wrap up in one sec, but just some kind of top line points. Um, what do you think Colin does with his day to day life now that uh, Logan's dead? I think Roman oh says he, he he looks like a dog without his human. He's obviously shopping for some Levi's. Obviously, he wears <laughs> jeans. I didn't know Colin was a jeans man. He's got a kid. <laughs> um, the kid was wearing sneakers as well. Love Colin. I love him rolling in. What, it, what he doesn't know what to do with his hands, and he's just got him kind of like on his back. Um, and he's still like his Marsha's lapdog. Yes, yeah. And like um, how Marsha had her own people though. She had she had someone to take. Uh, was Billy take take Kerry out the back? Yeah. And Roman's she, like, that doesn't sound good. She had some Greglets. Oh, how cutting was her line where she was talking about she's going to go take the subway and she's going to go back to her small apartment. Yeah, get in the oh bin, Marsha. You haven't, you haven't been here in ages. Uh, um, I have one last question for you. Yes. It's harking back to last week's episode where Tom rings Greg um, because Tom knows what's happening. And he says, you need to go to my office and delete a file called logistics folder. What is in your logistics folder? <laughs> um, my logistics folder is a bunch of TV scripts that never got made that I'm embarrassed about. Um, and then... <laughs> uh, nothing else absolutely nothing else what do you think is in Tom's folder I'm sort of curious Tom's logistics folder is probably all the um, stuff about he's uh, covering up the cruise liner um, yeah murdering why what's in your logistics folder nothing shut up <laughs> why is it called logistics what, what folder uh, it should be called um, year two university masters of criminology essay Super specific. <laughs> um, I, I am really curious. I hope that sort of comes back in some way. I don't know. They still um, they still have the chance to hang cruises like over Tom's it, neck, which it they read his head again, didn't it? Yeah. There's still some fucked up shit in the background that could come out in the wash that could come back to Tom. But hey, he's there to serve, as we heard. Um. Logan, little things we found out. Logan was fishing his phone out of a toilet that Carl probably clogged up when he had his heart what attack. Was that about? I didn't get that like tete a tete that was going on with Greg and Tom. Yeah, yeah, they're talking about how he was a a mighty man that died, and Tom's like, literally, they know he was fishing his phone out of a clogged toilet, which made me think, which is also hilarious, but made me think, did he have his heart attack because he heard Roman's voicemail where he's like, "Are you making me sack Jerry because you're a cunt? Is it because you're a fucky fuck?" Okay, bye. I love you. It's almost how Shiv said, like, we killed him. Yeah, that was super interesting. Um, she has guilt. Uh, love seeing Stewie back. Oh, only th- oh. Um, who's their offsider again? Uh, Sandy. Sandy in the wheelchair just smiling. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that old guy just winked at me. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's why this episode was so good because like this, apparently that guy, I don't know his name, the guy who plays Stewie is another like incredible stage actor with all this pomp and circumstance and he literally rolls in to be like a comatose corpse for three seconds. Sandy. With a, uh, Sandy with a smirk on his face. And I really, really like that Stewie came into the room and the older ones were like, nah, this is kind of a private thing. And they're like, listen, nah. I like this crowd. This crowd works. Yeah, yeah. That was good. Um, I also think because Logan's now gone that you can have these B and C characters will rise more and become more prominent. So you're going to find more Hugo. You're going to find more Stewie coming into it. And it's going to give everybody sort of a moment to flex. Yeah, every like every bit player is getting a really good character moment at the moment. And yeah. you're completely right that like, as, like Brian Cox is the best and Logan will be missed. But I really enjoyed this episode to not have him there and have like everyone have their little moments. But at the same time, like we, we should wrap up, but the whole idea of the legacy that uh, Brian Cox carried the show in a lot of ways for three years. He was, uh, for three seasons, he was Darth Vader. Yeah. He was the scariest man in the room and it was great. Well, we can wrap up there on a final note that you just, you sent to me when the episode ended. Uh, usually it ends with like a very melancholy kind of score or something. Yeah. And this, and this ended with Kendall taking the reins and it was like a fucking film score from an action movie as they're like charging off or like it was like the suit up scene in a um, superhero movie it was so interesting that that's where they went with that score for that moment yeah where the whole idea it changed from this normal sort of undertones of piano music into this rising sort of triumphalism of ken it's fucking great it was such a good ending um so deliberate very, very deliberate because it's usually so, so different. So yeah. I immediately noticed like, yeah, that is the rest of the season right now is like battle stations kind of music. Let's get ready to go. Um, final line, Greg walking into Kendall and Roman and going, my guys, my sweet guys, and giving <laughs> them a little awkward hug. And then Roman just being like, all right, fuck off. Oh, what a show. All right, six episodes to go. Good chatting to you. Um, I will talk to you about... Something else later in the week in succession again. Sure. All right. All right. See you, mate. See you.